Well, welcome back to A Voice in the Distance Ministries. It's been a little while since I've been with you, but God bless all of you for joining me once again. Uh, we are in Leviticus chapter 26, and we are about the, at the end. And so I'm just uh, thinking to myself, like, where's the time gone? <laughs> and though I've been uh, away from uh, teaching a little bit because of schedules and, and uh, this uh, COVID-19 virus that's been going on, it's been uh, quite an adventure. But again, by the grace of God, I'm back and, and doing well, and I just want to thank you all for, again, sticking with me here, and, and for all of you listening as well, I'm so glad to see that you are venturing through the book of Leviticus. And so again, we don't want to uh, avoid any of these books. We want to make sure that we are following along, because today, as we get towards the end, you know, God really covers a lot. And so I've said it before, I'll continue to say that the, the Word of God being the Bible is not just a mere book, it's a library. And so we want to make sure that we spend our lives going through the library of God's Word. And he covers much ground. But, you know, today's lesson, today's chapter of 26 is, is hard-hitting. You know, we're going to look at God in, in the ways that we... That some want to see him and some don't want to see him, if I could say so. We have this image of God of love and joy and, and, and um, you know, mercy and grace and, and so on and so forth. And other people have a, a, a view of God and, you know, a wrathful God and, and a God who uh, punishes all of these things. <clears throat> and so we're going to see the things of God in both aspects. Because God is holy. God is perfect. And, and so he is perfect in his love and his grace and his mercies, as is he perfect in his wrath and his just, in the, and, and so in his justice. So we want to take a look and see the things that, that, you know, that we want to observe of God. Because, again, when you really want to know somebody, you want to know everything about them. What makes them tick, what makes them happy, what makes them angry. God should be number one on that list. And so Leviticus is that book, you know, Leviticus is that is that book that a lot of people probably didn't want to, to see that. You know, we wanted to see God in our category. We're seeing God in his category. And all Moses was doing here was playing the secretary of writing down the words of God. So let's take a look, because this is a big chapter, I'm going to try to cover a lot of ground. But, you know, God starts off with the blessings of Israel. And so... Um, he reminds them once again that you shall not make idols for yourself. This is something he had to remind over and over. They did not listen as we know. If any of you followed along in the word of God, that is something they never did was listen to that particular um, uh, message. You shall have no other gods before you or idols. So he said, <laughs> excuse me, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar you shall rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies and they shall fall by your sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall uh, put ten thousand to flight. 
Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you, for I will look on your favor on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you, and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not be uh, abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. You know, if you're familiar with the history of Israel, whether it be through biblical or, or secular history, no other nation has really been attacked more than they have. You know, it's been it's been seen that I think Israel has been attacked over 150 times throughout its existence from biblical and secular history, modern and so on and so forth. Israel has seen its its downfalls, it's seen its blessings. Why? Because God lived up to his promise. They suffered because of their disobedience. They flourished because of their obedience. Very simple. But the key is, is again, staying the course of, of the straight line. That's always the hard part. You know, God does not change. You know, I, again, you've heard me say it before if you're, if you're a regular listener, that I have a huge problem. And, I, you know, really more than anything, God would have the biggest problem with it because people label him. And they, they want to worship the God of the New Testament versus the God of the Old Testament. He's the same God today, yesterday, forever. And so we want to make sure that we make that known and that we know that. Um, and, and so we look at this. We look at the two paths, the paths of obedience, the paths of disobedience. Right? And so we look at the people of the Old Testament that were warned over and over against worshiping idols. Did they listen? No, they did not. So, you know, we've always wondered how, how could, how they could deceive themselves, right? With these, you know, these objects of wood and stone, these created, uh, um, little gods that they created to worship. And, and yet here we have God, right? God could well give us the same warning. Because we too are, are, are prone to put these idols in front of us. And, and we don't, we may not uh, utilize the same form of idols of the ancient days in the ancient Near East. But our idols today are a little different. What are those idols? Well, simple. It could be money. It could be power. It could be your prestige. It could be your position. It could be uh, perhaps maybe the vanity of your looks. The, the, the list goes on in our modern day society. We have idolatry going on in many different aspects. We have false gods surrounding us everywhere we don't need to make them out of wood or stone we just we basically we worship them in the depths of our mind and in the, in, in the depths of our hearts that's exactly what we've done today which is very similar and the same god again that we're reading about just uh, detest of these things and so you know the payment of christ the payment of christ on the cross was a redemption right a redemption from sin's slaveries. But the one thing that I've always tried to make clear, and the one, and the reason being is because I'm an experienced uh, person in this, that that you know, we are forgiven for what we do, but we are never free from the consequences. Yes, we can do what we want. Yes, we have the choice to do what we want, and and the free will. To do what we want. But we are never, ever free of the consequences. Very dangerous place to be. And so God made it really simple. 
right? He made it very simple in the aspects of, of, of the obedience. He was not looking at perfection, okay? And that's, and that's a concept that a lot of people uh, have misconcepted, if you will. Holiness is not perfection. Holiness is simply being set apart. The only one who was perfect in this world was hung on that cross for our transgressions and that of, of Christ Jesus. But he says that I confirm my covenant with you. See, that's where we could look at, at the things that God has done. And we have this confirmation of the covenant to this day because Israel to this day still stands and flourishes compared to the neighboring countries. But yet it's been through so much. It, it, Israel has been through so many things. And, and so, you know, we, we take this covenant, which is again, you know, we look at a covenant as a form of, a, you know, a modern day contract. Well, this was much deeper back in these days. And covenants were made with blessings or with curses. And, and so when, when God made the covenant with Abraham, see, every covenant that God made, whether it was through Moses, whether it was through David, whether it was through Abraham with Israel, God made the covenant because God knew that he was the only one who could keep a covenant. You know, marriages are a covenant. Marriages are the very first um, covenant, basically, if you will, that God created. It was the first institution of such a thing that God created, but, you know, that, that does not exist anymore. Um, we look at the things that God has done, how he says that I will, ch I will have five of you shall chase, you know, hundreds and, and, and thousands in flight. You know, and we look at the history of what God has done and, and, and through those people. Whether it be through through King David or um, or we could look at Gideon in the Book of Judges, who had three hundred men and he and he, uh, he defeated over one hundred and thirty thousand people. You know, God has done amazing things through just a few, the few and the faithful. So the question is: Is where do we stand? Or are we part of the few? Or are we part of the faithful? And, and so we look at God. And we say, we must say to him, God, I want to be part of that few. I want to be the faithful. Right? We, we want to be in that realm. And so, we don't want to be like, you know, the Israelites returned to the slave mentality a few times. And, and it's what we would consider in the form of backsliding. You know, we, we go in and out. We're with God, you know, and then we're back into the world. We, you know, we, we dust ourselves off the shelf, as you will. I've heard that as an expression before. And it happens to people. But again, God is looking for, for, uh, for continual faith, continual walk, continual obedience. And He will give continual blessings. Now, it may not be in what we want at times, you know, being uh, uh, extremely wealthy, because uh, he's going to protect us from things that might harm us. But the blessings will come in so many ways that will overwhelm us. God promised that. All we have to do is be obedient. All we have to do is be faithful. And he was just that with the, with the nation of Israel. 
he was obedient with to them or i mean he was faithful to them as they were obedient to him and they and they reaped the rewards they reaped the consequences when they were disobedient god lived up lived up to his word and he wants us to do the same but again there's always two sides of the coin because god again just doesn't say well go ahead and do what you want because i'm going to bless you regardless verse 14 on says but if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments. And if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of the heart. And you shall sow in your, uh, your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies." Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, and your land and, um, shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit." Then you will walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey. I will bring you on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts amongst you, which shall rob your, uh, you of your children and destroy of your livestock. And make you few in number. And your highway shall be desolate. You know, God did these things because Israel disobeyed. These things happened. Right? There would be peace in the land. Right, if if they just simply obeyed, there would be no disaster. Okay, because God, what He did was He used the the consequences of sin to draw them to repentance. We, we call it chastening, and so it had nothing to do with getting back at them. I've heard people say, "Well, that's mean of God." You know, again, God doesn't just say, "Do whatever you want." It was for their own good. It was for it was for Israel to 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 see what it's like without God, to see what it's like outside of the realms of 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 holiness versus being in the realm of walking in sin. You know, we look at this and we think to ourselves that you know, again, we don't want to look at God as as this God of the New Testament who allows us to get away with things. And again, that's a very foolish outlook. Okay, so. Um, the the sin the, the the sins are consequences you know <clears throat> some people god will show mercy to as he said i will show mercy to who i will show mercy to and grace to who i will show grace but he has never he has never turned anybody back in true repent from true repentance you know many people i've seen many people dodge bullets and i've seen people suffer the consequences I really don't know where I stand, to be completely honest with you at times. I think there's times where I might have dodged some bullets, and I know and I know that I have suffered some consequences. And, and if you were to take a good look at your life and at yourself, where do you stand? Because, you know, there's a little game we call out there, Russian Roulette, and that is a game we don't want to play because it really consists of taking the life of another in a game. And so we don't want to play that game, okay, because the the, the results of sin is a result of our you know first and foremost our own disobedience 
It could be the result of maybe somebody else's sin. It could be uh, maybe something in the form of a natural disaster. We, we really don't know. They come in so many different ways in the aspect of calamity. Very dangerous stuff to be playing with. But he continues. He says, let's see here. Where was I at here? I will chastise you seven times for your sin. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols. And my soul shall arbor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. The land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths, and as long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it is to not rest in your Sabbaths when you dwell in it, and as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though uh, fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one per, uh, pursues. They shall stumble over one another as if it were before a sword when no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nation, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity, and your enemies' lands also in their fathers' iniquities, which are with them. They shall waste away. Now, I understand why people don't want to read this book at times, or they look at the the, uh, the wrath of God, you know, in, in that aspect of, like, I don't want to follow a God that does that. Well, let me tell you something. There's only There's only... Two out there that people would probably look at, and that's God himself, and, and then we have the devil himself. The devil himself wants you to do these things that God told you not to do. And he's the one who pursues you and leads you into that realm. And so it happened again, because now if you're a first-time listener of the Bible and you're in the book of Leviticus, there was a point where Israel had been disobedient for many, many years. 490 years to be exact, and, and we see why God is what's called long-suffering. And through that, God exiled them into the neighboring country of a very bad enemy called the Babylonians. So for 70 years, they were exiled in the land of their neighbors. And very few were kept in the, in the, in the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was very desolate, just like God promised right here. He said here that, that you're going to um, eat the flesh of your of your brothers and your family members and so on and so forth. And, and yet you're going to flee by the sound of a shaking leaf. Well, this is again something that happened in 70 AD through the disobedience of Israel. Again, the second temple was destroyed and the, and the city was ransacked and sieged by the Roman Empire. And as they were sieged, it said in the book of, I believe it was Zechariah, um, uh, I believe it was Zechariah, where it, where it spoke of, of the people, uh, it will be eating, you know, will be eating the, uh, the cannibalism, if you will, of their own children. So it was predicted, it was prophesied through one of the minor prophets, of something that God said would happen hundreds of years before it even happened, through the disobedience. 
You know, he said something about punishing them seven times. You know, and again, seven is like the number, is considered the number of completion. And so, you know, seven times is a high number if you think about it when it's, when something like this is being uh, utilized. And so, we want to look at this with, again, we want to look at this with care and with, with consideration. That yes, we are in a different, a different time, but God is not. God is not in a different time who doesn't, he doesn't say, well, I'm going to get with the times. You get with the times. No, the times have never changed for him. And so, again, I'm not a thump, a Bible thumping, uh, wrath of God kind of guy. I'm just simply a teach it for what it's saying kind of guy. And I'm one that's walked with God long enough to know that these things stand true because I've witnessed it through other people. I've witnessed it through myself. Okay, that righteousness, again, is that of being set apart. Holiness is being set apart, not perfection. And, and so God help us to be in the obedient realm. God has helped us to be walking on the straight and narrow path. God help us to be close to him through prayer, his word, through fellowship, whatever it is. See, Israel had gotten away from these things. They had gotten away from um, their relationship with God. And they've drawn towards the relationship of things of this world. And so that there, again, is a form of idolatry. See, we have idolatry, which is what you would kind of consider spiritual adultery. We know adultery is, is that of having an affair on your spouse. Well, we are the bride of Christ, right? We are the children of God. And, and to worship another idol is, is in the form of having an adulterous affair spiritually with something else that we shouldn't even be near. And so the power is in the word of God. The power is in God. The power is in all things of God. And so may the power go through you, go through me, and go through this world that desperately needs it right now. This was addressed to the nation of Israel, yes, but we worship the same God. And that same God doesn't say, well, I, uh, you know, this is what I want Israel to do. But all you go ahead and worship other gods. All you go ahead and live in debauchery. All of you do whatever you want because I don't care. No, God created all of us. He created this world. He used Israel as the example. And Israel was the light of the world at that, at that time and still is to can be considered such. But we too in this time, as God has given us his word are called to be the light on the hill. We are called to be a, a light in our neighborhood, in our schools, our workplace, wherever you are, to be that light. This is a plea for um, for care. You know, disobedience, I mean, obedience takes care. When we care about something, we're obedient to those things. And when we, when we say that, uh, you know, we love God, but we don't want to do what he says, then... That is a major contradiction that really angers God. And, and I've heard people say that I can never worship a God who's jealous. And I've asked people, I, I said, do you, have a, do you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Do you have a husband or a wife or somebody you love very much? A child. Yes, I do. Now, imagine them going after something else or someone else. 
Loving them more than you, how would you feel? Well, they'd say I was, I'd be furious. Why in the world would God, should God not be when he deserves the utmost of our love, the utmost of our attention, the utmost of our affection? And yet we have the audacity to say, well, I can never worship a God who does that, but it's okay for us to do it. No, God is the standard. Okay, God is the exception and the rule, and, and we are just lucky to be the exception. And so we look at these things and say, God help us. Let's take a look. But if they confess their sins, or their, their iniquity in verse uh, 40, and in the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and they also have walked contrary to me and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham I will remember and I will remember the land the land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its sabbaths while it lies desolate with them they will accept their guilt because they despise my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statues, yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away. Nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God, but for their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I have brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. Again, a display, right? An example of God's mercy, of God's grace. In the Old Testament, <laughs> this is the, the God of the Old Testament that nobody wants to worship, right? No, this is the same God who, who gave grace and mercy. Amen. You know, God was God meant what he said. Yeah, he's slow to anger. He's slow to wrath. He's real slow. Sometimes it took hundreds of years, you know. Maybe sometimes it was a little quicker. But God's timing's always perfect. God's timing is always right, whether we like it or not. You know, God would still He still gives the opportunity to repent. I want us to look at something in our own examples. Have you ever been wrong before? And, and, and have you had somebody just, you know that they were very sorry for what they did. You can tell when somebody's really, truly sorry. You got those that were, that, you know, they did something wrong and they were, just, they were told to apologize. Or, or maybe they feel like they have to apologize just because it's the right thing to do. But in the depths of their mind and heart, they don't really mean it. But then you have some that really do. And, and a lot of times you can tell. But more importantly, God always can tell. God always can tell. True repentance versus that of false. You know, people could uh, pull the wool over our eyes, and we could fall for just about anything, but God never will. You cannot snow him, you cannot blind him, you cannot play games with him. He knows every depth of your mind and heart, as well as he does mine, every hair on your head. And so, this applies to us too. Right? This also applies to us too. It goes to us just as much. Right? The purpose was not to destroy. It, but it was, it was, to, the purpose was to help and to help them grow. Right? Our day to day experiences and hardships are, are, are overwhelming. But when you got God as your advocate, 
it makes things a lot easier because we have something that's called hope. And you've heard me, if you've listened before, you've heard me abbreviate letters. We use grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. But hope is another good one of H-O-P-E, which means hold on, pain ends. And that's the hope that only God can give. To not give up, but to hold on because pain ends. And so he gives them the opportunity to come and pray, to, to repent, and say, and, and to be restored. For, for, for a restoration, a rebuilding of something that was broken. Something that we broke, but yet God can remanufacture in the perfect, in, per, in the perfect restoration as if it were never broken. King David said to create in him a new heart. If you've ever read the Psalms before. He said, God, create in me a new heart. And, but that word that he used in the word of create in the Hebrew was bara, which means to, to, um, to make brand new, like something out of a factory showroom versus like uh, rebuilding something in a, in a factory or in, or in a machine shop. No, he wanted to have a new heart created like that out of a showroom, completely brand new and made, shining, perfect. And, and so God gives us that. He gave Israel that. He gives you that. And so every day is a day of opportunity. Every day is a day to repent. Every day is a day to come to him. But time is short. And we don't want to play with time. We don't want to play with God because God is the author of time. God is the, God is the, the, the watchmaker of time. <laughs> and we don't, we don't want to waste time. We want to redeem time. But we must be redeemed ourselves. And so that was a lot to read. My elaboration was very slight and simple because really his words said the bulk of it. His words spoke the volumes. I was more of a mouthpiece today to help elaborate on certain aspects. I'm here to help encourage you to do that. To help encourage you to receive. To believe and then receive. You cannot just receive and not believe. You have to believe that, that Christ died on that cross for your sins because, because that's what his word said. That's what history shows. That's what you must believe. But then you can receive him as your Lord and Savior. You're telling God that I want to be a part of you because I believe that you did send your son, your only begotten son, to die on a cross for my sins. And what you read right now was back then how they were able to repent. But see, within time, he gave us Christ Jesus. And he came to, to wash away the sins once and for all. And you, by believing in him and receiving him as your Lord, as your Savior, your Father, invites him into your heart. And by that invites you into the heavenly realms to dwell with him in heaven for all of eternity. And this is an opportunity. This is probably the greatest opportunity you can have. And, and it's offered to you right now if you want it. I pray that God will soften your mind and heart to him. And if you feel led, 
I want you to say this prayer after me. And I want you to mean it. Because he knows it. Repeat after me if you feel led. Dear God, please forgive me, Lord. Forgive me of all of my sins. As I confess to you that I am a sinner. I ask, Lord, that you will wash me of all my sins and cleanse me. And I ask, Lord, that you will receive me when my time comes, Father. I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for dying on that cross. I thank you for having me as your child. And I pray, Lord, that I will be with you for all of my days and eternity when my time comes. I receive you now in my heart. I ask that you will receive me as your child. For I love you, Father. I praise you and I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as always, congratulations are in order when that when that prayer of repentance was said. He's been waiting for you for some time and, and you know, he, he gave you a birthday. And now he's going to give you an eternal birthday. If this is the date, <laughs> mark it down. Write it in a diary if you have to. Because it's a special day. And our day... Our last day on earth should not be scary, but it should be that of rejoicing because the rejoicing will be overwhelming. So I pray that God will bless you immensely. May he keep you and your family safe. May you do his work. May you lead others to him. Teach, preach, and live the word of God. And may you stay close with him at all times. God bless you and keep you. Much love to you all. God bless.